Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. I don't know about y'all, but that worship was pretty great. Um, today, we are going to be in James 3, verses 13 to 18. And if your Bible has a little heading, it's going to be talking about wisdom. And uh, when Erdy asked me if I was going to be able to preach while he was uh, gone for a study break, I thought it was funny that a 26-year-old is going to get up here and talk about wisdom. Because I don't have a whole lot of life experience. Uh, I don't think I'm the most wise person. But uh, through this study, I've been able to understand wisdom a little bit better and figure out uh, how to gain some wisdom. And so don't think that I'm standing up here giving you a lesson on, on how to be wise. That would be weird. But we're going to see what James is going to tell us about wisdom. And also we're going to talk about a guy named Solomon. So as you know, we've been going through the book of James, which is kind of a, a blueprint for our life. Today we're going to be talking about wisdom. And so before we get to the text today, uh, go ahead and formulate or put together your idea of a definition of wisdom what it means for you, and how we use it. And so looking around the room today, we have all sorts of different people from different backgrounds, different jobs, different careers, different educations. And so we're all going to have a different idea of what wisdom looks like. Through our study of the book of James, we've been seeing a blueprint laid out for us and how we are supposed to live. And I think in today's culture, something that's really interesting is that I think there's a very... Uh, I don't know, maybe a lack of wisdom in leadership roles, anything. There's a lack of wisdom. The wisest man to live, we know the, what the Bible tells us, is Solomon. And so in Proverbs, Solomon says, acquire wisdom, and with all of your acquiring, get understanding. So it would be safe to say that I think in our culture that intelligence and wisdom, those words have been used interchangeably, but I think that's a terrible idea maybe even unwise. And so whenever we speak of wisdom in church, we often go right to Solomon, which is not a bad idea. But Solomon, the story of Solomon didn't start out as Solomon being this gifted child, this gifted kid, already wise at a young age. No. He encountered God. God gave him uh, an opportunity to ask for one thing. What did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. And why did Solomon ask for wisdom? Solomon was going to be the king of Israel. Wouldn't it be a smart idea that if you're going to be leading God's nation to maybe be wise? Wisdom has been at the utmost of importance throughout history. And today we are faced with two types of wisdom. In the book of James, we're going to see earthly false wisdom and then true wisdom from above. This wisdom that we're going to see today, there's, uh, there's so much difference between knowledge and wisdom. And this knowledge that we, that we think of is just information that you and myself, we gather over time. And the wisdom with this information, with, when we get wisdom, or how do we get wisdom, is we apply that knowledge that we've gained over time. And so we've already read from Psalms today, uh, but when we think about wisdom, we have, to, we have to have a starting place. And so in Psalms 111 verse 10 it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom all those who practice it have good understanding his praise endures forever so the first step of living wisely is living in respect to God living in the fear of the Lord 
Living like there is no God is foolish, dangerous. So hopefully you are at James 3. We're going to be in verses 13 all the way down to 18. And so let's see what James has for us today. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is shown, is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So in verse 13, right off the bat, who is wise and understanding among you? One commentator said that this verse here in verse 13 is an instruction for James. Is it a test for wisdom? By the phrase, by his good conduct, James is basically saying, hey, if you proclaim to be wise, let me see. James is all about following words with actions. By this phrase, we should live our life in wisdom and meekness as we fear the Lord. It is my belief and understanding that each and every day you and I will have uh, times where we encounter situations that test our wisdom. Maybe we have high levels of it or lack thereof. Through this verse, James has a desire to understand, to discover the individuals within the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes are the intended audience of this book. And James is trying to figure out who's living the right way. The way James asks the question, formulates, and shows why he's asking it in the first place. James wants the readers, you, me, the people that it was originally intended for, James wants to see where the readers are going to answer this question. Where, let's see what the question says. Who is wise and understanding among you? The answer to that question is going to show where someone's heart and character is. You see, we're going to see two types of wisdom today, but they have two separate beginnings. Whichever of these wisdoms that someone holds on to shows you where their heart is. And so the second half of the verse, by his good conduct, let him show. This is a call to action. James here is saying, if you claim to be wise, show it in your life, in your action. So James is all about showing action. So in the same way in verse, or I'm sorry, in chapter 2 that he called us to have a working faith, then our wisdom must be visible if we claim to have it. And this uh, part of showing your wisdom, this is not a time for where someone can glorify you for how good you are, or you can glorify yourself, but this time to where we are putting our wisdom and making it visible is a time for us to show how great God is. As faith is going to be demonstrated in our actions, so also must wisdom be demonstrated in our life. And so in these two types of wisdom, we're going to dissect both of these. James starts uh, with both of these. He starts where they come from, what they do, and what they give you. So we will get false wisdom's starting place, what false wisdom gives you, and what it does. And the same with truism. We'll figure out where it comes from, what it does, what it gives you. And if you look at the next three verses, verses 14, 15, and 16, it says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So this is not where we want to live. This is not where we want to be. Notice that James begins telling us where this wisdom comes from. It's not from above. From above means heaven. Good things are in heaven. If it's not from a good place with good things, it's not good. It means it's not from God. And it means it's not biblical. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are the opposite of true wisdom. This jealousy we see is not the same jealousy that may be described in the, books of, in the book of Exodus. We see jealousy used in a good way when it describes that God is a jealous God. This jealousy in James is speaking from the spirit of envy, desiring what's not yours. And this selfish ambition is where you are willing to split a group of people to achieve personal power or status, basically putting your needs and desires above everyone else. This jealousy and selfish ambition is in direct uh, contrast with the good conduct that is in verse 13 when we talk about being gentle. Denial of the truth is a constant threat in our everyday life. It runs rampant in our society where everyone thinks that they have their own truth. They have their own feeling. We are able to see that our motivations in life will determine or are determined by our heart. The heart is a weird thing. There's good things that come from the heart. There's bad things that come from the heart. Just think about what begins in our heart. Sin happens in our heart, but then repentance happens in our heart. Belief happens in our heart, then unbelief happens in our heart. The heart is a weird thing. The word bitter is very important to look at in these verses. What do you think about when you think of bitter? Whenever, I don't know if it's really bitter, but uh, did y'all ever, whenever you're getting ready for school, brush your teeth and go immediately drink orange juice? That taste. That's kind of what I think about bitter. And some may think, oh, coffee is bitter. Maybe. The word bitter is important because this word bitter offsets the word jealousy because it makes it a harsh jealousy without having any concern. This is what wisdom is going to do. It's going to make you have those selfish desires and ambitions. So one thing that we know that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote us in Philippians 2 verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Basically saying, care for the needs of others than yourselves. And so there's a well-known Bible passage, the Good Samaritan. If you've ever been in the Bible before, in the Gospel, you know what this story is. And so, basically, how would you feel if you're on a journey and these people come up, they rob you, they beat you, and they leave you for dead? What if you're laying there and people walk by? What if one of those persons is a holy man? What if these people continue to walk by, worried about their busy schedules, not willing to help you? And then all of a sudden, a person who you would never think of that would stop and help you does. Not only do they stop and help you, but they heal your bandages, or they heal your bandages. They uh, heal your wounds, put bandages on you, but they, don't, don't, they just don't leave you there. They put you in the car, and they take you down to the hotel, give you a room for a couple of nights until you get back on your feet. 
This story of the Good Samaritan is what it looks like to put someone else's needs above yours. So think about when, when is the last time that I put the needs of a stranger above my own? I think it's pretty easy that if we put the needs of our family members, our friends above our own, that's pretty easy. But what about someone who doesn't know you? Just think about the impact, the witness that that could have. The selfish ambition is what follows the bitterness and gets rid of any considerations for one's surroundings. Some translations in these verses will throw in the the phrase, don't be arrogant. And this is because arrogance is based from a person whose motives are based on the world's wisdoms. James is speaking about a person who claims to belong to God. But then at the same time, having the desire for that earthly wisdom, the desire of the flesh, living against truth. And in verse, 10, in verse 15, James describes this worldly behavior in terms that's basically going from bad to worse. This behavior is ultimately earthbound, which is opposed to spirituality, and this comes from darkness. In the past two verses, we were able to see that this worldly wisdom is demonic. And this worldly wisdom deals with pride, ego, and selfish ambition. James decides to describe things in just a few words. He's right to the point, which is great. He describes his fake wisdom as earthly and spiritual and demonic. Earthly meaning that it's limited to this time, limited to this place. These these things are just limited what man can understand. This wisdom is is fueled by self-interest. The unspirituality meaning that this wisdom is of the flesh. And this wisdom feeds the desire of the flesh. And it is foolish and demonic. Even though this earthly, earthly, this, or even though this wisdom is earthly, it's of the flesh, and the things of the flesh are rooted in Satan himself. And so, if you notice, James does something here that's very interesting. Uh, these three parts that the that the earthly wisdom are attacking are the same three things that Satan himself uses against us: the things of the world, the things that are foolish, and the things that are demonic. These things are the things that pull people away from the Lord. We are to run away from the things of the Lord. And in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is going to be acceptable and perfect. And then in verse 16, James is just reiterating the fact that these motives of jealousy and selfish ambition are continuing. James is saying that these two things will appear to you. Sin, disorder, vile practices. But we've already seen that these disorders do not characterize people. These double-minded people that are proclaiming to have the wisdom of God, but still going after the flesh, going after desires of this world, are playing a game. And this game is saying that, yeah, I want this pure wisdom, but I'm still going to go over here. Disorder doesn't bring wisdom. Because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. In this verse, it talks about every vile practice. These are basically things that are meaningless and worthless. If a, person to, if a person professes to have faith in Jesus and claims to have wisdom from above, but a worldly heart, his claim to Jesus 
is false because he's lying to the truth. Now that we kind of got the nasty bits out of the way, James kind of shifts. Now we can see what is those wisdom from above in verses 17 and 18. The scripture says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in the peace by those who make peace. And so if you want to seek the answer to this order, that answer comes from above. These answers produce character qualities that are listed in this verse. It starts with purity and ends with peace. And this list is not just jumbled up. But James here has listed these in such a way that will make a lot of sense. James doesn't look at wisdom as a form of intelligence. James doesn't look at wisdom from intelligence or a logical perspective, but he's more practical and worried about the moral perspective. Do not overlook the importance of intelligence and logic. Like, it's important to gain knowledge. It's important to make sound understandings. James, along with Solomon, provide a, provide a perspective of wisdom that seems to be worked out through everyday life. Have you ever known people that, you know, might not be the most book smart, but they're very logical. They can do things. There's a, there's a show I love. It's called Everybody Loves Raymond. I hope some of y'all have seen it. And one of my favorite characters of all TV is Frank, because he's, he's funny. And he would always joke that he doesn't have book smarts, but he's got street smarts. And so it's basically what James is saying here, if you had the idea of, from Frank. So James is giving us a great description of what this wisdom from above looks like. It begins with pure. Why is it important to start with purity? James seems to have put some thinking, some ideas into this list. Remember that we've already figured out what the source of this wisdom is. This source, which is of heaven, comes down from heaven, the kingdom of God. So wisdom must be pure. There's no contamination in heaven. It's all pure. The word pure is used in such a way that it's providing clarity to this description that is in this list of wisdom. Basically, look at purity and understanding that it doesn't mean mixed with the things that are listed of the earthly wisdom. This is why James has separated earthly from heavenly wisdom so we can understand it a little bit better. So we know that this wisdom from heaven is pure. Now that we know it is going to be peaceable. Pure wisdom is peaceable, or your translation may say peace-loving. In other words, this pure wisdom from above is the opposite of argumentative, which finds himself alongside the selfish ambition in verse 16. True wisdom cannot be alongside the selfish ambition or envy because wisdom is peaceable. God has called his people to be peaceful. Those who have pure wisdom will be peaceable. They will not desire to cause division, but will be looking for ways to bring God's people together. Pure wisdom is also gentle. How do you know that you're gentle? This practice or this idea is shown in our relationships. I think it's super easy to say that you're gentle or peaceable if you're never around anybody. If you're just hanging out by yourself, it's really easy to be gentle or peaceable. But when we encounter different relationships in our life, when we run into different people in town, when we see our personalities start to clash, that's when we figure out if we're peaceable or gentle. Pure wisdom 
is gentle. Pure wisdom is also open the reason. What does open the reason mean? This is speaking to the fact that new ideas, new understandings, new schools of thought will come. We should be open to that. But that doesn't mean folding on our beliefs. That doesn't mean folding on our doctrine. But it means to be able to be persuaded to what is the best possible choice. Pure wisdom is also full of mercy and contains good fruit. It should be easy to understand why this good, perfect wisdom, this pure wisdom is merciful. Mercy is a top tier quality of who God is. Amen? Amen. And God's character of mercy, He gives us what we do not deserve, but at the same time, He doesn't give us what we do deserve. That is what mercy is. So who will show mercy? How do we show mercy? The idea of showing mercy only comes from the merciful. If you are a believer, then you understand what mercy is. You've encountered God's mercy. You're living in His mercy. One of my favorite preachers and writers, his name's Alistair Begg, he said this, God does not count our sins against us because He's already counted them against Jesus. For James, showing one's faith and not wisdom is an active part of our life. Pure wisdom is also impartial and sincere. What's it mean to impartial and sincere? Simply don't be a hypocrite. Live out what we believe. This is dealing with people fairly, not putting them in categories, and God's wisdom is working through integrity. Skipping down to verse 18, it says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This description in verse 18 is evidence of God's power, mercy, triumph, working through the life of the believer. And because we are peacemakers, because God is a God of peace, we're not going to be causing trouble, division, or strife. None of this is going to be persuaded by greed or selfish ambition. This harvest that is in verse 18 is going to be produced by peace of righteousness, peace and righteousness. And what does this mean to be righteous? It means to be able to stand right before God. This verse in 18, it's a, it's, I like it when the verses in the Bible allow you to you know, paint the picture in your mind. This verse is the farmer in the field, and he's planting, then he's going to harvest. This, 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 this picture, this painting of this farmer, he's standing in the field, and what is he sowing? He's sowing peace. He's watering peace. He's growing peace. But yet, what is he going to reap? Righteousness. It's been said that the fruit, it's not the fruit that determines what the tree is, but the fruit gives evidence to what the tree is. The fruit that we produce in life are not the fruit of ourselves, but are the fruit of Christ. And so our life as Christians basically boils down to where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. Christ dwells in the believers, produces fruit through us, and will bear the fruit of wisdom, not on our own accord, not because we're great, because of who God is. One pastor put four steps to living wisely. 
I wish I, I could have come up with these. They're pretty easy, but he did, he did great. Number one is to know Christ personally. If you want to be wise, know Jesus. Not just know of the name of Jesus, but truly know who he is. Second one is to read God's word obediently. I think it's really easy to read. You can get a book, flip through it, and read it. Someone says, well, give me a summary of chapter one. If you didn't study it, how are you going to know? Reading God's word is easy, but it gets hard when we're going to read it obediently. We have to know what it says. We have to be able to live out what it says. Third one is to pray to God humbly. I think some of us hold back prayers. We think maybe this is too big for God. Maybe this is too hard for God. I don't want to worry God with this. I don't want to, you know, think that I've made this recent discovery. But it should be understood that God knows your prayers before you even pray them. God already knows what's on your heart. But prayer is just in direct obedience in our understanding that we are dependent directly on God for things to happen. Prayer is not you taking your concerns to God because he doesn't know what they are. Prayer is you understanding that you are nothing apart from God. And the last one is fear the Lord. We are talked about fearing the Lord in Psalms 111. We know that this fear is not being scared of God, but being in complete awe of who He is and understanding what He has done. And so this passage, it's, I think it's great. Obviously, all the Bible is good. But this is something practical. Sometimes we, come to, we will come to a church and we'll hear the message. And like, what do I do with this? Right? Maybe that's just me. But this passage in James is something that you, that you can put into your life today. We've given the four steps of how to live more wisely. This is something that we can practice now. But if you don't know Jesus, how do we get past step one? We can't live wisely without first knowing Jesus personally. And if you don't know Jesus, and you're here today, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived the perfect life for you. He died for you, and he rose again for you. All of this that he did, he didn't have to. He didn't have his life taken away, but rather he gave his life because he wanted to. Some people think that Jesus got his, just, just got killed and he couldn't do anything about it. At any second during his beating, his crucifixion, he could have stopped and said, you know what, I'm good. He could have taken himself up off the cross, put himself back up there. Done that a thousand times. He could have done whatever he wanted. Why? Because he is the son of God. God in flesh. God walking among us. But no, he stood there. He stayed there on the cross. Because he knew that if he wanted us to be reconnected with his father, that was the only way. And we know that before he took the cross, he asked God, Hey, Dad, is there any other way that this can happen? And we know that the answer was no. Because our sins had to be paid. Just like in Old Testament where sin was paid for in blood, ours also must be paid in blood. Jesus Christ atoned our sins. He lived perfectly just to have a relationship with you. And so today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you want to live more wisely, that's step one is knowing him personally.
And you have an opportunity to respond to that. You have an opportunity to know Jesus today, trust in him, and live in an eternity with him forever. Reading God's word obediently, praying to God humbly, and fearing the Lord are just things that can follow once you make that decision. So if you bow your heads, I'll pray. And maybe today that you just want to have a conversation with one of us down front. Maybe you'll want to talk about church membership. Maybe you want to talk about giving your life to the Lord. Knowing Jesus personally is the first step in acting in obedience. Father,